This morning we want to talk about obedience, and we kind of alluded to it last Sunday. How many of you enjoyed uh, listening to my wife last Sunday? Did she do a good job? Yes, I am. Uh, I come back from Jennings last week, and Jennings, everything went well there. Um, they send their greetings, and they're just so, so stoked to see that things are going well with us. And um, uh, my wife has uh, has been chomping at the bit to to get behind the pulpit again. It's been part of our lives for last 16, 17 years, and so. Um, it's about time that she gets back in the saddle, and so thank you for receiving her well. Um, so we alluded to this, and we spent a lot of time in Psalm 119, and so I'm kind of kind of run off the back of that, just step back into Psalm 119, and then take the thought of obedience and start running with that, if you don't mind. You can join me in Psalm 119, verse 32. By the way, how many of you still have your little cards, your little... Uh, your, your little um, obedience cards, right? Okay, so I've been, I've been trying to memorize mine. I haven't fully memorized it yet, <laughs> but I still have mine in my wallet as well. And remember the challenge is you can, <clears throat> you, can, you can let go of that card when you start doing it. Okay, if you haven't, if you haven't done it, if you haven't, if you haven't pursued it, then, then keep, hang on to it and keep memorizing it and keep mulling over it. And if you forgot yours or if you didn't get one, there's one at the, at the info desk. It's just a little colorful card with a scripture verse on it that we challenge each other to really get into God's word and, 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 and become pursuers of God's word. And I just loved how, how, how Psalm 119 just has that emotive instruction of being passionate about God and his word and, and in following. It. And so, again, in verse 30, 32, it says this, I will run after you with delight in my heart, for you will make me obedient to your instructions. I will run after you with delight in my heart. I don't know about you, but there was a time when I was a younger Christian that I kind of served God out of obligation. I kind of went along with it somewhat first because, you know, my parents drug me to church, which I'm extremely thankful for now. They did. Um, and, and, and I kind of just kind of went through the motions. And there is no delight in going through Christianity through the motions just because it's what's supposed to be done. But David has a different experience or, uh, about the, the Word of God and about God and about following God. And, and it's an experience that he had in a time when the Holy Spirit wasn't indwelling human beings. It's incredible that he had this experience at that time. But how much more are we able, now that the Holy Spirit is resident on the inside of our hearts, possible to be resident on the inside of our hearts if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, how much more available is this kind of walk with God to us? To be able to walk in delight, to be able to be walk in desire and, and, and passionate, passionate pursuit of God. Um, and, 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 and then it says this, for you will make me obedient to your instructions. And I was wondering about that. I was, uh, and that's kind of where the title of my message came from. It's like, what does it take for God to make me obedient? How much does it take for him <laughs> to turn my heart around, to start following him? I don't know about you, but there's been things that I have put off, you know, and throughout my life, certain things I started obeying immediately, and then other things, it just took me forever <laughs> to start obeying him. I don't know, am I, am I the only sinful blip here? No, um, it's just like that, right? And, and I was asking myself, it's like, you know, how frustrating must it not have been to God? 
to see me obey him in one instance and then in another instance just not get there. And I was like, what, is it? what did it take? What did it Want to. What does it take for me to, uh, to get to that point of obedience? Uh, have you ever asked yourself that? What does it take, <laughs> God, to get you to obey his instructions? How much does he have to do for you? Does he have to explain things to you? Do you have to understand the why? Does he have to kind of put you in a corner, you know, where you have no way out? Like, but trusting him, you know, <laughs> does he, <clears throat> does he have to just let life kind of take its t- toll on you for a little bit there? Just, just maybe just lift his presence off just a wee bit so you can really see what happens when his grace isn't on you. <laughs> or, or, or does he just have to woo you with, with emotional uh, attention? And does it just take maybe somebody to come and support you and encourage you? And, and then you go like, oh, I feel so loved and appreciated by God. I'm going to go and do. What does it take? Because I think um, it's important that once you kind of know how you operate, that you can then pursue God in that sense. You know? um, I, am a, I am a very emotional kind of follower. And so uh, when, when God touched my heartstrings, I'm just like, yes, Lord, I will do it. I don't care what the consequences are. And then later on, kind of like my intellect catches up with me and I'm like, goodness, I gave up a lot here, you know? <laughs> and so, um, but, but the bottom line is God wants us to become obedient to his word and to his instruction. And so he is forever going to be working at us and on us to obey him. But God, look, there's a difference between compliance and obedience, you see, God does not necessarily want just compliance. Compliance is when you go, okay, I'll do it. You know, <laughs> uh, obedience, um, uh, obedience requires a, an, an, a desire, a want to, a want to. That's more where obedience lies it lies in the i want to realm more than the okay i will because you know i don't want to do the other side which is disobedience um and jesus says in 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 a, in a, a parable in scripture you know that it's compliance is better than disobedience don't get us wrong for sure it is definitely better but he is after something more he is after our hearts, and he wants our hearts to want to serve him, to want to obey him. And that's the experience David has. And when he writes Psalm 119, because it's believed that he wrote Psalm 119, um, he's writing it from that perspective of, it is my delight to serve God. It is my passion to serve God, my absolute own volition, my pursuit something that I will make room for in my life. I don't have to try and fit it in around every other thing that I'm busy with. No, this is a priority for me. I think we can define Christian maturity um, as the period it takes between instruction and obedience. What if maturity wasn't whether somebody could pray loud and good or whether somebody could, you know, sing worship songs real nice or whether somebody lifted his hand or not lifted his hand. What if that was not maturity? What if maturity was the gap between your instruction and your obedience? 
how would your maturity levels change if you would have to rate yourself? Uh, I think the shorter that period, the more mature a person is because our walk with God ultimately is a walk of faith. And, 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 and obedience requires faith. It actually does not require understanding. But God is not, you know, malicious. He will give understanding if you want it. But often he requires you to first step out in obedience before he goes ahead and explains himself. Because that is what a walk by faith is. It's not a walk by understanding or a walk by sight. It wa- he wants us to trust him. That when he says go this way and we do, that, that, that speaks volumes of the relationship we have with him. And so, um, so, 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 so obedience is an actual factor of maturity. It is. And some people might think that, no, this guy's just you know, law-based. You know, this guy's back into the law. And, and, and I would say to you, if you would ever think that obedience has anything to do with uh, the law, that you must be careful to not mistake the method of God's salvation with the lifestyle of salvation in God. Because there is a difference. And the Bible is very clear that, you know, we don't get saved by obedience to the law. I'm going to read you a scripture verse. And, that's, and, and, and I understand that. Colossians 2.15 says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too, us as Jews, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified. And that is true. But the Bible is equally clear that a person who claims to love God will actually obey God. And I'll read you two scripture verses for that. John 14, 15. Jesus himself says, If you love me, keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 2 to 5 says, This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. For everyone who, born, who is born of God overcomes the world. So, it is not trying to please God. We understand by faith that we have become pleasing unto God, and that's why he has accepted us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. But because of that love relationship that we have with God, it literally follows out into obedience. It flows out into a lifestyle of honoring God and wanting to obey God. If you want to call it something like, you know, there's, there's this... Um, uh, this the story in the Bible Jesus tells of two people that owed money to a, a money lender. Um, one owed him 500 denarii and the other one owed him just 50. But neither of them could pay the money back. And so the money lender forgave them both their debt. And Jesus poses the question, who loved the money lender more? And so the, 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 the guy who's talking to Simon Peter, he says, well, the guy who owed more, right? <laughs> He's a little bit more thankful than the other guy who, is, who, who, who didn't have that big a debt. And, and, and Jesus says, you've judged rightly. Um, I tell you that, and, and then he speaks to uh, um, them about a woman that came and was doing extravagant acts of worship. She was wasting 
things on Jesus. She was crying on his feet, kissing his feet. She was pouring expensive oil on his feet and drying it off with her hair. Extravagant, wasteful acts of worship that she brought unto Jesus. And many judged her for it. Like, wow, that money could have been better used than to just, you know, spill it all out on somebody's feet and had it go to waste. And Jesus said, let me ask you this question. Who loves more the one who has a greater debt that has been forgiven or the one that has a smaller debt that has been forgiven and then he says that this woman here this woman here understands how much she's been forgiven and because she understands how deep the forgiveness for her soul went her worship was extravagant her worship was wasteful because she knew that it was worth it. She knew that it was, he was worth it. My question is, 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 is what is your perspective about your own walk? Is do we truly understand how, how, how depraved as humans we are? Do we truly understand how badly we needed salvation? See, we grew up in a world that told us that we are intrinsically good people. And no one here, I believe, would look at themselves and go like, yeah, I'm just, a, I'm just a, an idiot. Now, sometimes we, we do that, you know, when we, we, we do something stupid. Oh, JJ, you idiot. Okay. Um, my ears, unfortunately, have heard me say that to me <laughs> a couple of times. But intrinsically, we think of ourselves as being good. And that is one of our biggest issues in Christianity is because we don't realize how vast and how detrimental the separation was that was between us and God before we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We don't realize how utterly sinful we were. And we don't really truly understand how much we have been saved of. We don't. And so sometimes we just pay worship lip service because we don't truly see ourselves in the right light. We don't see ourselves the way Jesus saw us when he died for us. But yet he did die for us. And I think that's something that we need to remember because when the Bible tells us that we were cleansed, we were, uh, we were, we were sanctified, it, it, it uses those words to tell us that, hey, before this you were dirty. Before this you were unholy. Before this, you were sinful and you were worthy of only one thing, and that is being rejected by God. But the beautiful thing about our faith is that Jesus died for us when we did not deserve it. And so opened up, up for us the way to have connection with God that we did not deserve, but now get to, in absolute thanksgiving, live out our lives, honoring Him for what He has done for us. But the beauty of what He has done for us isn't merely um, explained in the fact that He saved us, but it's also in how He has reinstated us. Um, and in 1 Corinthians 6, it says something that is just so amazing <clears throat> that I want to I say. Um, verse, verse 20 says this, and uh, sorry, not verse 20. Um, it is up there. There you go. 
But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. That means if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been united with the Spirit of God. You have become one with the Spirit of God. And the beauty of that is, is that when it comes to saying no to sin and saying yes to God, when it comes to uh, saying no to just not listening to God and disobeying God and, and saying yes to God, is that it's no longer just a, okay, I will do this because I have to. No, I've become so one with His Spirit that I've started sharing His desire. I've started sharing His perspectives. I've started sharing His emotions about things. I don't know, a while back we used to pray this prayer, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. There's a song about that as well. How can we pray that? Well, because we've been united with the Spirit of God, it means that we start feeling how He, start, how he feels about stuff. We start seeing our environment the way He starts seeing our environment. But we also start seeing ourselves the way He now sees us. And that's a, that's a massive change because if you still see yourself after having put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you still see yourself as now currently being a sinner that is just not worthy of, 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 of being used by God or, or, or stepping into God's presence, then there's a problem because He no longer sees you like that. He no longer sees you as a sinner. He sees you now as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because the minute you stepped into faith in Christ Jesus, His blood came and covered all of your sin, washed you, cleansed you, sanctified you, justified you, so that now He sees only righteousness when He sees you. He sees you completely made right. And you need to see yourself that way. Because once you start seeing yourself that way, then you start echoing the viewpoint of, 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 of Scripture over your life. You start seeing yourself in a new light with new abilities, new desires, new wants, but also new power. New power to overcome what you're facing. New power to continue to do what you have been called to do. It says in, in, in verse 19, Do you not know that your body are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Another place the Bible says, We were all at some point serving our own desires, serving our own um, sinful uh, uh, passions, and, and, and things, and the Bible calls out, you know, the, the different kinds of sins that we were pursuing. But then Paul writes to these guys, and he says the following, he says, the following, he says that is what you all were at some point. That is what you all were, but you were washed. You were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The greatness about this message is that you are already cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't have to do more to be more cleansed. 
He has declared you righteous now. And, 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 and the minute you start seeing yourself that way, your perspective about you change, changes. It's like sometimes people go like, um, you know, they're, they're getting a crunch or, or in a, an altercation with something and they want to go like, oh, uh, I, I better just, uh, I, I better not let the old me come out right now. I mean, how many, how many of you thought, thought that thought? That, let, let me just say this to you. I don't know who you're going to grasp for, but it's not the old you because the old you is not there anymore. He's dead and gone. There is no old you to go back to. Sometimes we think that that's kind of like a safety mechanism. Don't upset me because the old me is going to come out. As if the old me can protect you better than Jesus can protect you now. Come on now. The old you led you to hell. What are you going to ask that old you to do for you now? The old you is nothing to you. The old you is a dead individual with no power, with no love. The old you is ineffectual, couldn't save you. Why would you reach back to it? No. In time when things are tough, that's when you reach to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. Lord, you have said to me that my faith will overcome this world. And when I face trouble, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the mindset that we need to cultivate. Instead of trying to find this way to kind of, you know, conjure up this old dead guy that's going to supposedly help me. Focus on the life that I have been given. And the power that I have been given in Christ. Because that overcomes this world. If you have trouble at work, you need faith in Christ that will overcome the troubles at work. If you have trouble in, in your social life with somebody that's, that's acting and messing, messing with you, it's faith in Christ and prayer and, and blessing that person and speaking God's love over that person. That's what overcomes this world. And Jesus proved it by beating the biggest enemy in this world, and that's death. How will his way not be beat any other enemy that this world has to offer if the biggest one has been already defeated through it? I believe God is saying to each and every one of us here today that you are able to do anything and everything that he commands you to do. You are able. You have been Enabled. Listen to what 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says this. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who have called us to His own glory and excellence. You see, God has called us to His own glory. That means it's, it's something, it's, it's a standard that is above this world. God's glory refers to His standard. His way of doing things. And he has called us to that standard. That standard lifts us above this world and its issues and its dynamics. And it enables us to uh, address it from his vantage point and his perspective with his presence and his power backing us. You have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then it says, by his glory and excellence, he has given us his precious promises that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, 
having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful flesh. He says that even the promises of God, the Word of God, all the things He has he he given to us so that we might walk above the issues, the challenges, and the corruption of this world. That means if you're facing things that want to drag you down, that wants to uh, remind you of who you once were, you can rise above it because they are these promises of God, these principles that He, have, he has given us that, that says to us that, who he has already made us to become. Not something I'm trying to become still. I have already become the righteousness of God. Therefore, I have already been given overcoming power. I have already been given the faith I need to go through what I'm going through. It's not something I have to wait for. It has been given. Say this, I have it. We have it. We have it. We have been united with Him. You do have the desire to obey God. More than anything else, you actually want to obey God. Let me prove it to you. When you sin, do you feel great about it? Or do you kind of feel like, ugh, ugh, right? Yeah. So why would your inner being feel ugh, about something that you actually wanted to do? Because it doesn't fulfill you any longer. But when you obey God and you do something like coming to church today, do you leave here going, oh, that was horrible. Better not do that again soon. Or do you go home feeling like, wow, that was just so fulfilling. My soul is so fed. I'm just, like, I'm just so filled with, a, with a, the thankfulness and the right perspective. And a, now, isn't that the way you leave here? You leave feeling like the Emmaus uh, men who went, were, were, were traveling to Emmaus and Jesus came and they didn't know it was Jesus after his resurrection. And, and he was talking to them and talking to them about scripture, etc. And, and, then, and then when Jesus leaves, they, they, they go like, oh, didn't we feel like our hearts were burning on the inside of us when he was with us? It's like when you, have a, when you make contact with God, you feel like, man, my heart just can contain the joy and the thanksgiving and the... Oh, I just love this. I love it. (laughs) That's the way we feel when we come in contact with God. And when we obey God, that's the same feeling we get. Yes, I did it. It's because you have been changed. Sin no longer satisfies you. Obedience to Jesus satisfies you. And so my encouragement for us today is to stop lying to ourselves about who we are and what will make us feel good about ourselves. If you've put your faith in Jesus, there's only one thing that's going to satisfy and bring contentment into your life, and that is pursuing Him passionately and giving Him all. In fact, to the, to the point that you, you fully surrender you will experience joy and peace. But if you hold back a bunch of things, Lord, I've got to manage this on my own. I've got to manage that on my own. In that and this, you will find turmoil, strife, and, and, and trouble. God wants you to surrender it all because that's the way he, uh, His fullness just comes and, and just uh, just just takes over your life and just leads your life. And so I want to talk today for the last bit here about just five, five things we tell ourselves. And my hope is that 
as we go through them, you will find one of these that can be for you a next step in your journey with Jesus. One of these that you'll say, okay, I'm going to do that next. This is my next step in my journey with Jesus. I'm going to say yes to one of these. If it's more than one, praise Jesus. I am just hopeful that it's at least one for each and every one of us here. The first thing we say to ourselves is, I'm not ready to be baptized. You've put your faith in Jesus. And you know it's time to get baptized, but for some reason, you're holding on to tradition. You're holding on to previously taught religion. And you just don't want to say yes and obey God to be baptized. Acts 2 verse 38 says the following. Peter replied to the Jews. He said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. And then in verse 41, the Bible says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Baptism is the first step of obedience that a Christian takes after putting their faith in Jesus Christ. It's the first step of obedience. It's the first act of saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow the pattern of your life, of, of, of Scripture in my life. I'm going to follow the pattern of Scripture in my life by obeying you. And if you said that we, when we believe, when we repent, we have to get baptized, I'm going to take that step of obedience and I am going to go through the baptism water. So today we are celebrating that decision of a couple of people who are going to get baptized. And I want us to take a minute to just acknowledge them, um, to just uh, to just pray over them. So if you're here today and you're getting baptized after the service, why don't you just stand real quick and we're going to pray over you guys. Come on, all of you guys are getting baptized. Can we give these people a massive <laughs> encouragement? That is amazing. Hold on, stand, 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 stand. Let's, let's pray. If you're close to them, just put your hand on the shoulder to encourage and to just acknowledge. And um, let's just thank God for these awesome, awesome decisions that's been made here recently. Father, we just bless these uh, children of yours, Father, who have uh, come to this point in their walk with you where they've, they've mm, stepped away from following their own way and decided that they are going to do it your way. So, Father, we just thank you as each of them have made here today a, a public declaration that they have put their faith in you and that they accept you as the leader of their lives to be followed, to, to lead them through the waters of baptism. And, Father, that this day will just be a great day for them, that they will just remember this here uh, um, date, Father, as a, as a very significant date in their lives when their lives came in to and, 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 and practically were shown to be under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We bless them today, Father, and everybody who witnesses this with them, that that testimony will be also for them uh, to see these lives being led by God 
and, uh, and to follow suit and to allow Jesus to lead them in the same way. We pray this in, in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You may take your seat. Right after the service, uh, we're going to go uh, to Mr. Mike Peridon's house. So if you want to join us, um, we're going to baptize these folks in, in their pool. And uh, you're welcome to come and observe and, and join us there. In fact, it would be a, a, an honor if you would. So I want to encourage you. If you have become a Christian and you've made a decision to follow Jesus, but you have not yet um, uh, taken that first step of obedience to get baptized, I know that you have been obeying in other areas as, as well, and, and, and that's okay. But this remains undone, and it has to be, and it has to be completed, uh, like Jesus says, to fulfill all righteousness. Um, even Jesus was, I mean, he didn't need to get baptized, but he modeled the way for us, and, and he asked his cousin John, who, who then baptized him. So I want to, I want to encourage you to, uh, to follow, um, to follow Jesus step by step, and, uh, and 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 let us know when you're ready to to do this. Okay. Mm. Sometimes I wish I can like oil my mouth because <laughs> the water is just not working. <laughs> okay. The second thing we kind of lie to ourselves and say, you know, uh, often to, is like, man, I just I'm not ready to join a life group. I can't join a life group. And um, I don't have time. I don't like to discuss my feelings. I don't like. I don't like to, you know. Um, uh, talk about things and, you know, my faith is kind of private and things like that. Um, and, and I understand that. And, and some of that is personality driven and it's okay. Uh, but I want you to grow through it. I want you to realize that as a church, as a group of people, our work is to grow together. Our work is to help people to grow in their relationship with God and growth takes way better place in circles than it does in rows. This here is awesome, and you get a lot of good information, but this isn't sufficient for trying that, this information out there in the real world when you're in your classes, when you're in your, in your jobs, uh, when you're in your businesses, when you're on your, um, you know, uh, out there in the oil field or whatever. This gives you the, the, the what, <laughs> more often the circles help discuss the how. Because that's when you get to reflect with other people, well, how, how do you handle a situation like that? And you get to actually ask questions and, like, and, and make objections that then can be debated. Um, and so it's one thing that we've just, over the years, been proven correct in, and that is that your life will grow and you will become a better practicing Christian if you are a part of a life group, part of a small discipleship group where you discuss your faith, where you discuss the Bible, and where you are held accountable to try, to try things out. And accountability isn't, isn't an authoritative thing. Accountability is an encouragement thing. Accountability is a, a place of saying that, hey, it's okay if you failed. Let's help see what happens so that we can grow stronger. And so that's one thing that you're going to have to get used to at OSC. We do life in circles. We just do. Um, and, and our circles are, are open. Uh, they're not closed circles. 
Anybody can join a circle. And um, I want to encourage you to find a circle and start doing life with other people that is intentionally linked to the vision uh, of our church um, that is meant and intentionally designed in a way that will help you grow in your, uh, in your discipleship journey with Jesus. We will not get away from this because Jesus called us to it. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. It is not something we will ever get away from. And so I appeal to you, stop thinking that you can't be a part of a life group. You can be a part of a life group. It's, it's, it's one of those things that once you've, once you've incorporated into your lifestyle, very soon you find, man, I don't want this to not be a part of my lifestyle. Um, and you learn how to do life with other people around you. Um, and I can say a lot more about discipleship, but we will do that at another date, which I will definitely, because it's, gonna, it's, it's becoming more and more of a core um, calling of our church that we are called to make disciples, not just make a difference. Uh, some of you might have remembered our, our vision statement always uh, ended with uh, know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. And we're actually adding to that. We're, we're amending it slightly. In, 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 um, we're still working through the details of it, but very definitely we want to make the end goal the making of disciples. Because when you make a difference, you don't always make disciples. But when you make a disciple you always make a difference in somebody's life. And so um, I will say more about discipleship as, as time goes on. But it's primarily happening in circles. It happens in relationships. Uh, and uh, we are a relationship-based church. That uh, means that if you do not, if you just know me, uh, you're, you're not well connected yet. You need to know other people in this church as well. Um, and uh, if you don't know me, but you know other people in the church, that's fine. Uh, you don't have to know me. I don't have to know you personally. I would love to, but um, I also, you know, have a 24-hour uh, day, <laughs> just like you. So um, we'll get to it. Uh, but in the meantime, make sure that you build relationships with more people in the church. Because this church is not about me. It's about Jesus Christ, and it's about the Word of God getting implemented into our lives. And so the more people connect around the Word of God with one another and help one another to just respond to God's Word in obedience, the better our church will be, whether I know you or not. Now, my desire is to know everybody, but the bottom line is it might take a little time. In the meantime, why don't you get with a group of people that, that you already can get to know the Bible and each other. And, and over time, you can start living this, this lifestyle and you can start experiencing the benefits of being in life group and discipleship as time rolls by and, and, and we get to meet each other as well. The beauty, of, the beauty of our church is that it's not built around an individual and it's not built around a personality. It's built around the Word of God and it's built around the vision that God has given us to reach more people for the kingdom's sake, and to build lives so that Jesus might be glorified, to the glory of God. So that brings me to the next thing we say to each other. We often say to each other, you know, I'm not ready to be a member of the church. And um, to, to kind of talk about this one, I need to 
explain a little bit what the church is real quick, okay? Um, because we have a misunderstanding of what the church is, and therefore we make the conclusion, okay, I'm not ready to be a part of it yet. Okay, so first off, Jesus started the institution called the church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus told his disciples that he will build his church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Forget the C there, I forgot to delete that little reference point. He will build his church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So from this, we get a couple of good principles. Number one, Jesus builds his church. Okay, if Jesus built his church, we need to understand what is he building and how do I become a part of it? How do I participate in it? How do I build the same way as he is? Because if I try to build something different, I'm going to be frustrating him, right? So Jesus builds his church. Now, let me say to you, um, according to this one website, a website of a group called the Gospel Coalition, good place for resource for theology, um, they, they call the church the following. They said, the universal church is a heaven and eschatological assembly. Eschatological means end times um, or just the culmination of all things. Assembly of everyone, past, present, and future, who belongs to Christ's new covenant kingdom. So the universal church is something that every single Christian, past, present, and future belongs to. You are all part of the church. Capital C, big church, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, okay? That is beyond any denomination, beyond any, uh, you know, particular stream of theology, etc. We are all the body of Christ. That's also what it is uh, referred to, the family of God, the church, okay? But the local church, the local church is a smaller group of mutually affirming people of the same new covenant um, that, ident- that is identified by their regular gathering together in Christ's name through the preaching of the gospel and the celebration of the ordinances. The celebration ordinances are things like baptism and, um, and, 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 and communion, etc. Um, and so what you see is you see this you see often the, um, a misunderstanding between the universal church and how does the and what applies to the universal church and then the local church and what applies to the local church. And sometimes people don't want to be a part of the local church because they think the local church is something that causes division uh, in the world. Because how, why are there so many different churches, right? And and what, we should all just be unified, right? Because we're all part of the body of Christ, right? Yes. We are all part of the body of Christ, and yes, there should be unity, but there should also be local expression. Why? Jesus called the church the word ecclesia. He said, I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, the word ecclesia in his time wasn't a church word. It wasn't a religious word. It was a political term. It was a government term. The word ecclesia meant a called out assembly. And right in the time when Jesus was on earth, the Romans were governing. And the Romans would used to call a bunch of leaders together in a particular place. 
And that would be the Roman government's ecclesia, a called out assembly of people that would discuss governance matters. And they would make decisions and that body would then uh, authorize and send out people to go and execute the decisions that the ecclesia made that was supposed to be happened. So it's almost like it was a parliament. It was a group of people that made decisions about the country and about the situation. So when Jesus says, I will build my ecclesia, Jesus is not trying to say, I'm going to start worship services. (laughs) In fact, he's actually saying, I am going to call out people that will come and they will discuss kingdom matters together. And they will decide together what needs to be done about this. And then they will authorize and execute that from that assembly. Last week we spoke about gathering and scattering, remember? Right. So every Sunday we make a call to worship, to our ecclesia. And we come together here and we discuss the matters concerning our faith. And we make decisions on how should we go about our lives to live out this expression, our expression of the universal body of Christ so that people can have a tangible view, a tangible picture of what the kingdom of God is like here on earth. And then we scatter and we go and implement what we have taught, what we have discussed. And then we gather again in our small groups and we keep discussing. And so we are little church of little church. And the ecclesia comes out and then goes back in. And so why this is important is because Jesus' universal church is not leaderless. It's not structureless. And so a local church cannot be leaderless or structureless. It has to have order. It has to have Discipline. It has to have something that unites and can, can, can help people to see the same, think the same, and then act the same in order for it to be able to have influence, which is what we need to have in our world, influence, we need to organize. And so that's why it's impossible for us just to be this universal body because there's no leadership to that. And so the, the, Jesus' prayer to his disciples was, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as with everything Jesus has done, he's always trying to express on earth the reality of heaven. And that is why there needs to be local churches that are little expressions of, of what the big ecclesia in the body, as it is in heaven, so it must be on earth. Our job is to try best we can to represent the universal body through a local expression thereof. And so everything that we are called to in the greater body of Christ, we need to try and and, and achieve in our local body here, unity uh, of heart, unity of mind, unity of action, love for one another, care for one another, honor for one another. All those things are, are, we're meant to express that here without becoming exclusive and thinking that our way is the best and only way. And by that, we develop unity within the bigger body, unity of the faith, 
but we still need to cultivate our own expression. And so if you want to be a part of the ecclesia on earth, you have to be a part of a local expression thereof. Otherwise, you're not actually experiencing the true expression of the universal ecclesia. Because the universal, in the universal ecclesia, everybody has a purpose, everybody has a role, everybody has leadership, everybody has responsibility, everybody is called to, uh, to serve. And so exactly what we do in our local church is what the actual universal body of Christ does. Probably the reason why we don't know that is because you need a local expression to help understand it. And so when we're calling people to membership, when we're calling people to, 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 to take on the to shoulder with us the vision that we're carrying in this house, we're asking you, help us express the heavenly church in an earthly way that it makes sense to people how God's kingdom operates so that together we can have influence on this world and we can see more people see God and, 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 and want to serve God. So it's so important for us to understand that Jesus is building his church and we have to build the same way. And so that's why we do things the way we do it, because we've come to a very big conviction that the, as it is in heaven, so it must be on earth, that the universal church needs to be expressed in this way. And so we're not doing it to, to, to just to um, you know, make ourselves become big and look great. No, we're doing it because we desire to express heaven to this world so that this world might have a tangible way to see who and what God's kingdom is like and what it is like to be a part of the family of God. And so we want you to become a part of this family. We want you to uh, take a next step by doing <laughs> the class called Next Step with us. That is uh, the place where we discuss our membership and what this church believes and what our goals are and asking you to join in with that. And then the, th the fourth thing we say is like, man, I might be okay to be a member, but I'm not ready to start serving. And, and I think this just flows out of the same misunderstanding. You are already serving. <laughs> Jesus has already employed you in his kingdom. And all you need to learn is that that needs to become a physical expression in a local church body. And so God wants each and every one of you, no matter how old you are, wants you to start serving, start helping. And so I want to encourage you. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can serve. You can. You have been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness. You have been united with the Spirit of God. You are able to do this already. It's just a matter of stopping lying to ourselves and accepting the fact that we have been enabled by God to do this. And so I encourage you, find someone that's doing something good and start helping them. Start helping them. And then the last one I want to share uh, today that I believe is just so important is that we say so often to ourselves, I'm not ready to share my faith with other people. I'm not ready to testify. I'm not ready to tell the gospel, tell the good news to people around me. I want to remind you of who you have been united with. You have been united with the Spirit of God. Whose job is it to bring people to repentance? The Spirit of God. And who is, who is on the inside of you? 
You already have everything you need to be able to testify and talk about your faith to other people. You don't have to learn anything more. In fact, the Bible says in Luke 12, 12, the Holy Spirit will teach you in the same hour what you are to say. It's when you have an opportunity to talk about Him. In that moment, the Holy Spirit will show you what you are to say to that person. All we need to do is say, Lord, I'm willing. I want to do this. I want to obey and I want to just will and work with your Holy Spirit on the inside of me. Because he brings opportunities across our path to encourage people, to offer to pray with people, to, uh, you know, to, um, uh, to be a support, to ask if we can you know, help uh, and to, to, to share our story and to tell people how we came through tough times before, right? He gives us those opportunities, but we so often don't take them because we believe that we're not ready yet. Listen to me. The Bible says, you have been made sufficient as a minister of the new covenant, by the Holy Spirit that is resident on the inside of your heart if you've put your faith in Jesus. You are ready. You are ready. And all I can add is that encouragement of Scripture that says, Romans 1.16, don't be ashamed of this good news about Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. It's the power of God at work. That means that when you share your story, when you encourage somebody with a scripture, you are part of that work of the Holy Spirit in that person's life. That's wooing that person and getting them to that place where they will eventually stop believing that lie that I didn't speak of today, which is that I'm not ready to serve God. And that they will realize that I have been ready to say yes to Jesus. Matthew 16, 15 says this, So wherever you go in the world, tell everyone the good news. Everywhere you go in the world. So some people say, um, you know, no, my faith is a private matter. It's like, like said no Bible verse ever. <laughs> like, like, really? There's no Bible verse that says that, that your faith is a private matter. In fact, the, quite the opposite is true. <laughs> our faith is meant to be visible to people around us yeah come on and um, um, another thing is we make the wrong assumption we think well I don't know if that person is ready to hear it's another wrong assumption we make listen to what Matthew 9 says it says Jesus said to his disciples the harvest is ready the harvest is ready but the workers are few so pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, to send out workers into his harvest field. So I want to encourage you, you are ready to obey God. You have everything inside of you that, you, that is necessary to be able to obey God in all of these things. What's going to be your next step? What's going to be your next step? Let's all stand. Holy Spirit, we want to say that song again. This is our surrender. This is our surrender, Lord. We want to come and lay our lives down, surrender our will to yours, Father, 
and pray, not ours be done, Lord, but your, your will be done in our lives. Father, I pray for each of the people here, your children, Lord, your disciples, that you will teach us truly what it means to follow you and become fishers of men, Lord. Thank you that you've received us just as we are. Thank you that we don't have to perform to get you to accept us, that we have been accepted in Jesus Christ. And thank you, Father, that we can stand in that joy and that peace, knowing that we are accepted and that we are changed, knowing that we are enabled by your Spirit on the inside of us to do everything that is pleasing to you in our lifestyles as well. Help us to renew our minds here this morning and, and throughout the week. Remind us, Lord, that we do want to obey. That it's not a, it's not a challenge to obey. It's a challenge to, to stop lying to ourselves. Help us to accept your truth as the only true reality of our lives. You have changed us. All things have become new because you have changed our nature and you have united us with your spirit so that we hear your thoughts, we feel your desires and we want to obey you. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.